It's not recording. Alright, a nice shot of my rope. <laughs> Gotta know what the people want to see to start. That's how you rope the viewers in. Sorry, All right. po- sorry podcast listeners, you missed out. <laughs> gentlemen welcome to the very first episode of connoisseurs on the record Woo! i'm ian and i am trey we are college friends who just love music and want to do a podcast where we review different albums of different genres just give our opinions on them and branch out no album is off limits no genre is off limits and we're just gonna have some fun with it i'm excited I am I am extremely excited. I am pumped. One thing I'll add, a lot of the albums and the songs we review on here are songs that Ian and I have really grown accustomed to and grown to love over time. But that being said, it doesn't mean we're not going to explore and dip our toes into new genres that we have never really explored before and new artists that we've always been wanting to give a try. So yeah, a lot of it's going to... A lot of it could be a little campy with artists that we just happen to enjoy a lot, but um, we're going to try to spread it out a little bit and spread the love and get some other genres and artists in there too. Especially, that's especially true with the album that we're, the very first album that we're doing. Absolutely. Because uh, this is a good way to get our feet wet, to kind of establish what we do here, what we're going to be doing before really diving into the deep end and listening to artists and albums and genres that we would, wouldn't be caught dead touching otherwise. There's going to be some hiccups along the way, but one thing that's not going to be hard for us to do is review this album and talk about this album. Because to be honest, I feel like half of our conversations anyways revolve around this album and this artist. So this will be the topic here is going to be the easy part. It's just the technicalities and the technical stuff that might trip us up a little bit. And that very first album... Panic at the Disco's Death of a Bachelor Death from bachelor. 2016. Mm. We have a connection with this album. I've chances are you've probably listened to it since the time it came out. It came out like January of 2016. How long do you think you've been listening to it? I, it wasn't since the first time it came out. I know that. I had only heard one song um, from this album until like six months or so after it came out, and that one song that I heard was Emperor's New Clothes. Emperor's New Clothes. Yes. That one has... I, I, I looked up some of the view, views on the music videos for those, and believe it or not, well, you probably would believe it, Emperor's New Clothes had the most views out of any music video, with good reason. If you've seen the, the video, you know exactly why it has the most views out I of any song. I highly recommend checking it out if you yes. haven't seen it. One of the craziest and most well-thought-out music videos I've ever seen. Shout out the uh, Fueled by Ramen makeup department, because... They yeah. popped off on that video. That was I'm ex- impressive. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk about this album. I listened to it. I want to say it was maybe about, might have been near the end of 2016, around 2017. I know it was like, especially for you, I'm sure, our college soundtrack. I was always listening to that album, every yeah. single track. Yeah, I, it was definitely on there for me. It was definitely on my constant playlist, but I think I have a different college soundtrack. Um that we'll certainly get into uh-huh. in a future episode. Uh-huh. But 100%. And Panic of the Disco has always been an artist where no matter what stage of life I've been in, they've dropped bangers and they've been a part of that no matter where it's taken me. So 
I'm excited. But Death of a Bachelor, would you consider it a perfect album? Absolutely not. It's got its flaws like every album. Almost every album. And we're going to get into that. We are. But to start out every episode, this is something that we really want to do. We want to give a little bit of a background. I think it's, it's proper to listen to an album and review it and critique it and give your opinion on it with a full understanding of the album as far as it comes to how it performed on the charts, how how it was when it first came out, how the album has done as a whole, and what was going on culturally at the time. Because especially for albums that are older, it's important to pay attention to what was going on in the world at the time because that could really influence the lyrics and the setting of okay. the album. Yeah, absolutely. So that being said, this is the background and a little introduction for Death of a Bachelor. It is the fifth studio album of Panic at the Disco. Yep. And it was released yeah. in January of 2016, three years after their previous album, Too Weird to Live, <coughs> Too Rare to Die. Best album. <laughs> That's He's just my a big opinion, fan. Of... I happen to be very partial to that album, but continue. <laughs> Fun fact, you you probably knew this. I it completely slipped my mind. Death of a Bachelor was actually the very first Panic of the Disco album as a solo act. Yeah, just Brendan. Just yep, Brendan. Just Brendan. It became a one man band. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, earning the band's best sales week and their very first number one album. Really? The moment you're me Brendan. That, okay, you're telling me none of it. Not even their their debut studio album. That thing was a hit. That didn't even hit number one. Didn't even hit number Interesting. one. Interesting. Okay. Not from like opening week. I mean, maybe it climbed the charts. I might have to do some research on that. Charts. Uh, might have to do some research, but yeah. I would not have guessed that. That surprises me actually. Okay. It's been certified as of recording. It has been certified double platinum by the RIAA, and I... was the twelfth highest selling album of that year. That's actually impressive. Very impressive. Considering you said this came out in 2016, right? Yes. 2016 was an astoundingly good year for music. Really good music. Everybody talks about summer 2016 because of all the bangers that came out that summer. Everybody's talking about that soundtrack from that summer. Summer really 2016 good. was different. And that Absolutely. was when someone who was on the airwaves the most was um, Adele. Because I think didn't... Oh, which album was it? 21. Was 21 the one that came out? Was that the album's That's name? quite possible. I know the song of the summer from 2016 for me was... Uh, Heathens by 21 Pilots. Uh, that was, that oh, was yeah. huge. That was the Suicide Squad yeah. year. Yo, that, that whole album blew up. Like, Heathens yeah. blew up. Sucker for Pain. That's a good one. Uh, that one that g Easy did with, um, oh, I forget what it's called. And it's going to slip my mind. It's I've called, only heard I, a handful of the soundtrack. I feel like I need to listen to the rest of it. There's one, and I can't remember what exactly it's called, but it's him and some other woman. That sings on it, but it's a really good one, too. I was too. about to make a super dorky reference. I was about to say, no, go ahead, go ahead, Suicide Squad... Is almost, I compare Suicide Squad to the 2006 Sonic the Hedgehog video game, where Which, I feel like the studio was just saying, oh, hey, is that uh, is that movie done yet? <laughs> movie? I thought we were just making a soundtrack. Okay, uh, just throw some actors and some uh, graphics on there. No one will notice. It was very kind of Warner Brothers to produce a movie for that astounding album that came out. Because honestly, <laughs> that's, that's all I like to remember from that uh, fiasco that was Suicide Squad was Did the you amazing hear, soundtrack. Assuming you've probably heard the whole album. Have you heard... The one that I'm impartial to is Purple Lamborghini, Rick Ross. I have heard that one, actually. I know nothing. I don't listen to Rick Ross. He is not my thing. But that song. 
you have to is remind really me. good. It's the I one know... with Skrillex. Skrillex produced it. Okay, I know Logic. Got the purple Lamborghini lurking. Rose! Isn't Logic on one of the... Is, he's not on that song, right? Is, not on that, that song. It's just Rick Ross on Purple Lamborghini. Logic is on one of those songs. I can't remember. It might be Sucker for Pain, to be honest. I can't remember for I sure. I think it might be. But that's... A lot of folks were on Sucker for Pain. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big Which, song. Which, Imagine Dragons needs to do more choruses on rap songs. Yes. Like, they need to do more hooks on rap songs than they do albums. They need to do... Yeah, they need to... Or just less <laughs> music until... I don't have any until, opinions on Imagine Dragons. Or just less music until they learn how to make it again, because it's been five years since they put out a good project. <laughs> Which was Evolve. Well, since we've already gone into one of the big things of 2016. Yes. Since this came out in January of 2016, if we want to talk culturally, I think we'd be a little more accurate to talk about what was going on in 2015. Okay. Because the year had just wrapped up. Yep. Uh, The biggest cultural phenomenon at the time. I'm just spitballing a few of them. Hotline Bling. Oh, yeah. Hotline Bling Drop. That was one of the big songs of the summer. And the music video was clowned on for the entire year. So many memes, so many um, impersonations, uh, so many parodies. I remember we used to sing that song in the locker room before gym class in my junior year of high school. And that's all everyone ever played. Every single day of gym class was Hotline Bling. So that song has stuck in my head forever and not in a good way. Just a bunch of half-naked high school guys singing that song and doing the dance that Donald Trump oh, was doing on that SNL God, parody. Please don't. Oh, it was horrible. Oh, no. It was awful. Um, the, the Force Awakens um, in that year was attempting to reinvigorate the Star Wars franchise to a new generation. Yes. This is not connoisseurs at the movies, so I'm going to try not to share too much of my opinion on the new Star Wars films. Empire was on every TV set except mine. Empire. I have never watched Empire. If you were to ask me what it's about, oh, I cannot Empire. tell you. I, okay, yeah, Empire. Yeah. Never seen it either, but I know what you're talking about. Now. And everyone was buying tickets to see Fifty Shades and Mad Max, <laughs> and everyone, and I mean everyone, was singing and rapping songs from Hamilton. Was that 2015? 2015 was the year of Hamilton. Jeez, Can you okay. believe that? No, that seems like... Time is a flat circle. Ago. It does not feel like it's been around that long. Wow. Okay. So that was I love Hamilton. When it came out, I was sick of everyone talking about it. Like, it kind of started getting worn out the way Frozen did. Mm-hmm. But I love Hamilton now. And I've always loved it. Do you know what was going on in the sports world in 2015? Because I do, if you would like to know what was going on. I was on about to say, you're, 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 you're about to, you're, you're asking me about <clears throat> something I clearly don't know about. <clears throat> As a resident Carolina Panthers fan, that was the year we made our second Super Bowl. And Cam Newton, our quarterback, I don't know, this might be a foreign language. Oh, really? No, 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 no. He won the MVP that year. Carolina Panthers was the Carolina only NFL Panthers. team I grew up with. My yeah. dad was a big Panthers fan. We... And it is the most torturous existence known to man. <laughs> we, it, oh, yeah, it is. No, that was just one brief reprise from a horrible, horrible... Horrible time as a fan of the Panthers. We went 15-1 and that year, and we made the Super Bowl. We lost. It was a really good year. And that was the first time in 35 years that Clemson football made the national championship. We lost that as well. But it was a good year for sports, um, at, least for, at least for me and anybody living in our area, most people living in our area. We have the context. We know when the album came out. We know how successful it was. We know that it was nominated for the Best Rock Album at the 2017 Grammys and the 2018 Billboard Music Awards had generally positive reviews from critics. Okay. That was the last fun fact that I had about the album. Now... I do not know about the Grammys. That's interesting. Another thing that I really love to delve into is one of the first things you see when you look at an album is you look at its cover art. 
And I feel like judging a book by its cover goes the exact same way when it comes to albums. The cover of Death of a Bachelor has the iconic scene of an old fashioned like sports car in the pool. Brendan Urie passed out on the ceiling and this all is lined with like neon and kind of scribbled. This is the point for our YouTube viewers where we put the album cover up on the screen, right? So like right here, right here, Good thumbnail in this general right area. Again, sorry, podcast listeners, you're not going to get quite the, our uh, audio, quite the same our experience. Our audio listeners are going to be like, I want to see it. Why <laughs> Just am go I to getting Spotify. left out? You can Google it. Just be like, Death of a Bachelor. That's the album art. I think it's a very good album art. I oh, think absolutely. it definitely, and I think it sets the scene for the album really well. I don't think Panic has a bad album art, to be honest with you. Honestly. pretty good. Yeah. Pray for the Wicked, the little, little, it's definitely the Ugly Stepsister. I like but... the artistic ability. Oh, okay, hang on. You said they don't have a bad album art, but we're forgetting the album that will have come out by the time this drops, but hadn't come out when this was recorded. Viva Las Vengeance. Yeah, but it's not out yet, so they don't have a bad one out yet. That's true. So right now, that is the true. Being recorded, as they don't of, have a bad as album of press yet. time, they have a spotless record. Facts. We have the context. We have everything that we need. Now, the very last most important part... Oh, yeah, this is... Okay, my favorite part. Here we go. Ugh. Go ahead. I, I don't know what we're doing. I assume we're taking okay. our first sit yeah. together. Crank it up and let's get that. Let's get those mics. Should I put this right in front of the mic so oh, like, yeah. to get the best... Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now, episode one of Connoisseurs. <sighs> on the record. Yes, sir. Death of a Bachelor, baby. Let's get into it. That this is so good. Off. Just for the record, anyone listening, Ian, you have a blue moon, right? I have a blue moon. I have a Michelob Ultra Amber Max, which I just discovered the other day when I came over to Ian and his uh, his wife's house. Gabrielle. And, yes, Gabrielle. And these things are amazing. One of the best beers I've ever had, honestly. <sighs> Though, of course, I'm not the best. I'm not a beer connoisseur. But we'll be drinking all sorts of fun stuff here on this podcast. As we, I think in order to fully appreciate music, you have to have a good beverage. Oh, of course. You just have to. It's important to anything. Absolutely. Appreciating anything. Unless you're listening in your car, then you don't need a good beverage before you. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be an alcoholic beverage. Ah, thank you for I mean, you can, uh, you, if you're going to enjoy something, like, hang on, I got to stop by Sonic real quick. Yes. Let me get me a Limeade and I'll be set. That's just a caveat, so we don't get in trouble for anybody who thinks exactly. we're going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, if our over. college, if our if our Baptist college professors could see <laughs> us now. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started. Let's go change the subject. Let's 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 move forward. Track one. Yes. To kick the album off is the track "Victorious." Victorious. sounds like something you would hear at a pep rally it's very chanting very cheerleaders just chanting the tonight we are victorious and i have been you mentioned at a pep rally i have been to several sports games for several different teams where after the home team wins they play that song after the uh oh after see, the game is over that's the only thing i regret about not being a sports fan you'll hear that song never a lot. having oh. heard i haven't heard it at a sporting event yet because i never go to sporting events you, sh- you should definitely come you'll if hear I it a were the lot. guy in charge of being a dj at an event, it would be exclusively playing that and songs like oh, yeah, 100%. exclusively. Now, I think personally that this is a perfect 
album opening? Like, what do you think as far as it comes to being an opener for the album? I have to agree. Um, I would say it's perfect just because it really sets the tone for what you're going to hear the rest of the way through. You're going to get 35 minutes, I think something like that, 35 minutes of just straight, pure, uncontained energy. And that's the best way yeah. I could possibly describe yeah. this. I never realized how high energy this album was until going back and re-listening to it. Because I honestly haven't touched this album in so long. I actually haven't listened to a lot of Panic lately. I've mostly been listening to um, the new differ. stuff that has been coming out. Yeah. But after listening to this album all the way through again, I fell in love with it again. The best way I could describe this album is if you could condense a can of Red Bull into an 11-track LP... That is exactly what Death of a Bachelor is. That's there's a, a couple, perfect description. There's a couple. Actually. There's a couple. We'll get to them. There's a couple. Um, more ballad type songs, more you know slow paced. But most most of the songs on here, I mean, you don't get a chance to catch your breath. I mean, it just keeps. Oh, no. It just keeps keeps going. It's upbeat the entire way through, which I think Victorious is the perfect album opener because it, you know, it's basically saying buckle up. This is gonna be a bumpy red and i love the production and the instrumentation of it it's very high energy everything just pops it sounds very full i love the little looping guitar riff that's based on the totally and then when it gets into the chorus the totally not the danny phantom theme totally not danny phantom no no copyright infringement there not at all <laughs> no, I, I, I do totally agree, though. I think this is, uh, as far as Panic! The Disco opening tracks go, this is up there with their best. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's their best, but it's definitely one of the top two or three. And it pretty much encapsulates how I felt about Panic, like something that I've always loved about Panic, but certainly in this album is where it really hits home. Their choruses are simple, but so easy and fun to sing along to. Absolutely. And this one is probably the most fun to sing along with. So Unless you don't know the lyrics, I don't know how somebody could listen to, honestly, hardly any Panic song and not just want to belt the lyrics out the window. Going oh, no, 100 but the thing is, the, the chorus road. is so easy to follow. Yeah. From like the first two times you hear it, you're next thing you know, like by the third chorus, you're over here pumping your head, we <laughs> and like you just can't help but get into it. It's another good music video. The music video for, excuse me, the music video for Victorious is oh, also yeah. great. Next one to come up is... Don't threaten me with a good time. Champagne, cocaine, gasoline, and most things in I'll go first on this one if you want. Oh um, no, no, go right ahead. I have my opinions on this one. I Uh-oh. I think to start, you can definitely this is where you first start to get the vibe that Brendan's been listening to a lot of Beach Boys before making this out that opening guitar riff for that one is just so 1960s beach boys type of uh oh you don't know that's actually a sample is it really have you ever heard the b 52s song rock lobster probably if you played it for me so is it same time period though right is that so am i kind of hitting on the b52s about maybe 70s or 80s they're the they're the ones that sing love it gives me it, it it puts me kind of uh I don't know. For some reason, I thought Beach Boys, and I think we'll get towards the Beach Boys towards the middle of the it album. Has, it has bit. it has a Beach Boys it sound. Definitely. It's very beachy. But no, he straight up took it from the B-52s really? and turned it into He likes doing that, doesn't intro. he? He likes taking guitar riffs from other bands and using them in his songs. He did that on... It works. Yeah, it does it work. It just he, works. He, 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 he knows when to do it. Um, This song, to me, is... I don't want to say... The lyrics, it's not up to par for Brandon, I don't think. I don't think this necessarily... 
I don't think this is one of those songs where you listen to it. I think this is one of those songs, let me say, where you listen to it and you're like, yeah, he doesn't have Ryan Ross helping him write anymore. He doesn't have Spencer mm-hmm. Smith helping him write. Or Dallin Weeks, like from uh, Too Rare to Live, Too Rare to Die. He doesn't have that anymore. This is one of those songs where I think Brendan listened to an LMFAO album, if you remember LMFAO. Oh, my goodness. And he, I did not think they'd be in the same conversation oh, he, as this album. He listened to a song from them, and he's like, you know what? That's pretty edgy, but I can do better. Watch this. And he just threw as many edgy references as he possibly could in there. Just to I sound a little hardcore. You know what I mean? can kind of see it. That's what. That's one of my probably oh, one of my few gripes about this song. I enjoy the hell out of the song. Yeah. But the thing that kind of gets me is how he's really just listing off a bunch of substances, listing off a lot of alcohol, <laughs> which will, which I'll get into actually a little bit later in some of the notes that I was taking. But I think for me, I think it tell he tells a pretty good story in the chorus. How basically the whole entire story is. One of the craziest nights of, like, drugs and alcohol and indulging in everything possible and the torturous morning after, which not something that I can fully relate to, but the story that he tells, the kind of stuff, the the pictures that he paints. Look at these footprints. They don't look very human-like. I woke up in my underwear. Drunk Uh, pre-meds and some rubber gloves. 5,000 people with designer drugs. Designer drugs. What's a designer what drug? A designer drug Yo, is. this meth Louis Vuitton. <laughs> I don't know you what it is. You can't touch this. <laughs> so I had, no, or, I, I had no idea that you weren't really a big fan of that song. I'm not. It's the one from the album that I just like... It doesn't... It's too drastic of a lyrical change from some of the other stuff he's written in the past. And it's too much just... Like, is this really Brendan? Is this really your... Is this the type of stuff you sing about. And so it's not personally my favorite. Nothing necessarily against the song, technically. Just personal preference. It's not my favorite. I do agree that one thing I noticed is in the chorus for this song, it's kind of a peek into the future of when, especially in his forthcoming album, uh, probably already out when this releases album, Viva Las Vengeance, it seems like the songs that have come out, it's like he tries to squeeze too many words into a chorus. Either too many or too few and repeat them. But in this one, like yeah. when he's trying to squeeze in, um, raise hell and turn it up, saying, give me a pass it in the drink pipe. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, like, what is he saying? He's saying, if you, if you go out, if you, if go, you go out, hard. you might, if you go out, you might pass out in a drain pipe. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, Again, and he it's squeezes just... a lot of words into it. Granted, I still kind of vibe with it, but oh. you can tell he was really trying to squeeze. He was so proud of that line. He was really trying to squeeze it into the chorus at the tail end. Again, sonically, it's it's a great song. And there's not a bad song. None of the sounds of these songs on this album are bad. Oh, it's no, just the production the, is insane. Yes, it's, I would say maybe it's the best, most well-produced album that Panic's ever put out. But... It's just not my favorite in terms of the subject and the lyrical stuff. And again, just personal preference, but not to say that I don't, it's not a guilty pleasure of mine every now and then, but just personal preference. It's not really, not my cup of tea. This is one of those where if it was on shuffle, you'd probably say, I can skip this one. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Unless that opening riff hooked me in and it does sometimes. Uh I just can't, I can't get rid of it, but yeah, it's not my favorite. How about Hallelujah. I'll let you take this one first, actually. Really? Because I, I do have opinions on this one, but uh, I'm interested to see what you have to say. One thing's for sure. It's like after... You, you can tell 
from the get go, like we you already mentioned it, how this is a high energy album. Three songs in hasn't slowed down once. No. Like, sure, this one's a little more low tempo, but it still has the same kind of oomph that the other two have. Yeah. I honestly, like, as far as the lyrics go, I think this one has a little more lacking for me. I enjoy I, I Brendan is one of those where I like the way he says things, but I don't know. I feel like he could be talking about more. And th- this song was just seemed like a generic. I'm talking about a woman type song, which I which I would put that de- I would uh, put. Don't threaten me with a good time. I would actually put that one higher above Hallelujah solely because it talks about more than just oh you're a girl and I'm singing about you. Even no matter how poetic and approachable it is. And that's the th- that's one of the things for me with Brendan and with Panic that recently I've become more. I don't know if you feel the same way, kind of turned off by, is you listen to some of the songs and you're just like, like, what are we singing about? Like, what what are we talking about here? Like, this is just, this is some of the stuff that classifies you as a generic pop artist. When you guys, back when you were a band of four, made a living off of the way you were writing your lyrics and like people would look at you and listen to your songs and be like, how did they come up with this? I still, for their first two or three albums, I listen to some of that and I'm like, what kind of drugs are they on writing this? Because this is <laughs> beautiful and crazy at the same time. Yeah. Some songs like you said, like Hallelujah and I mean, even some songs on this album, but definitely moving past Death of a Bachelor. Again, it's kind of, it's like, what are you talking about, Brendan? Like, what are you singing about? What are you, like, what's the message here? There's gotta be at least... Not every song needs an underlying message. Not every song needs this big, grandiose, you know, thing you're trying to speak about and sing about. But some songs like this for me, they just don't do it for me. It just feels like you said. Yeah. It's like I'm singing about a girl. I want this one to go to radio, which is why it was the lead single, I think. But even, but even with that, I mean, the the way he says some stuff is really good. What line specifically I, are you I really like to? when he said it's a simple line leading into the chorus every time being blue is better than being over it kind of saying oh it's better to be feeling an emotion over something than just be completely numb i totally so he even in his more lackluster lyrically lackluster songs he still finds a way to put some sort of something meaningful in there yeah even if you do need to search for it which i noticed in some (laughs) later albums um you definitely need to search for it i've done some serious research still found nothing yeah yeah oh I forgot to say one thing that I remembered about this is the fact that it's hallelujah, obviously not a gospel song, not gospel oriented at all, but the way the song is formatted and the choir in the background, it's very, he makes it sound like a gospel song. Do you notice that? I agree. With How that. it has the hallelujah in the background, very, like, very brass heavy, very stomping. And even at the end, when he's singing the chorus for the last time, all the music cuts out, and it's you can just it's kind of like stomping and just yeah. the choir singing. It really sounds like the way you would end some sort of really highfalutin uh, church service. I, I so, totally agree. A lot of artists have those kind of songs these days, and again, I think this is him kind of drawing back. He was he was definitely drawing back to some older decades when he was writing this album. Some of the sounds from those older decades. And I think yeah. this is an example of that. Um, but no, I, I love, I love, I do love the sound of this one, and I do love the way it does draw back to those gospel roots, like you were mentioning. That'll be a recurring thing, just enjoying the way a song sounds, because there's not a single song where, it's not a song, there's not a single song on here that would come on, and I would hear it in the background and think, if I'm not paying attention to it, and think I'm just going to skip it. 
None of those. Because I disagree with that one, but I, I will. Really? really oh, yeah. I definitely okay. disagree with that Okay. Okay. All right. Is, yeah. Not to is be that guy. Emperor's New Clothes. Oh, one absolutely of them. not. This is one of my favorite Panic songs <laughs> of all time. Not a second on this song is wasted. Like, he gets straight into it from the start, and I mean, again, the production of this one is just absolutely top-notch. It literally feels like if Broadway did a horror production, this would be the type of song that would be the lead song for the production. It is amazing. And the bridge, where you get those demonics, kind of angelic really slash demonic voices. It's one of those showstopper oh, songs. Oh, it literally, I'm telling you, it comes to a point where you're just like, it makes you want, you feel like you can just go take on the world after hearing this song. I love it so much. If I Write Sins, Not Tragedies was never written, I could see him closing concerts with this song. Fun fact. Um, now that you mentioned that, on his last tour, before the encore, he did close with that song. Really? Pray for the Wicked tour. He closed with that song before the encore. I think the encore must be when he plays I Write Sins, Not I write Tragedies. Sins, yeah. But uh, Emperor's New Clothes is the one that he closes before he... Goes out, you know, goes off stage, and then the crowd says, encore, encore, he comes back out, then it's, he plays two more. It's so many people love that song, and yet it's still so underrated. Oh, I agree. Like, you never I, hear I it, you never hear it before High Hopes, you never hear it before I Write Sins, all the other smash hits, Yeah. but it's, it's gotta be one of his best songs, and I'm not even, I really think it is one of his absolute best songs. I love the, going back and listening to it, and analyzing it. It's so funny how when it comes to having the homework of analyzing these songs, yeah. I appreciate homework them so with much. Air quotes around uh, it. This homework. is the best homework I've ever received in my life. No, no, it'll 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 uh, it'll end up being homework with some of these artists. <laughs> Probably end up doing. I guarantee you. But listening to it and analyzing it, I never realized just how good of a story it tells. Like he introduces the concept so well, the song just sounds so perfectly creepy with like instead of angelic like gospel choruses, it has this kind of demonic chorus. Welcome to yeah. my world. It sounds I like I guess that's the word. I think I might have said demonic, but it's it's hard to even describe. Like, it sounds like a choir of demons. It sounds the That's so- it. That's a great the way The song of at it. sounds yes. otherworldly. Like yeah. the way the choir sounds, the visual I get is it's just a bunch of demons singing while he's like above them and they're like kind of worshiping. Oh, la, 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 Again, like, if you haven't seen the music video for this, they literally could not. Yeah, they couldn't have made a more appropriate music video than they did for this song. Oh, and the, it fits it oh, so and the well. Detail that went into it. I I don't want to spoil it. If you've seen you if you haven't seen the music video, go and watch it. Even if you're not a big fan of the song, the music video is second to none. Oh. It's incredible. But I love the story it tells and. I love the, just the, I put that, it put, paints a beautiful picture of hell. Oh, it's exactly it what really it does. It really is exactly It's exactly how it what is. it does. I can't describe and it any better. I, I also noticed there's kind of, I don't know if he did this intentionally, but I feel like Don't Threaten Me With A Good Time going into this song they complement each other really well. Did Don't, is it Halloween? No, no, Halloween is in between, okay. but I think con- conceptually... Don't Threat Me With A Good Time going into this one is perfect because in Don't Threat Me With A Good Time, he's talking about all this overindulgence in drugs and alcohol and things like that. And 
It's almost like through all of that, he's become such a sinner that he believes he should be the champion of hell mm. and then lead and in, go into this song. That's, I really feel like they go hand in hand really well. That's a good insight. I haven't even thought about it. Yeah, that. I'm awesome. telling you, man. I, when I was listening to this and like comparing it to the rest of the album, I'm like, dude, I'm noticing a recurring theme with this album. But even though sometimes it's a little overwhelming, in this instance, it really came together perfectly. For a much more simpler, I mean... That was that's really in depth, and I don't. Yeah. I I wish I could go that in depth. <laughs> I would say like again for this album as a whole, it's full of songs that you'd listen to on the bus ride before a big game. That's what I would say. This album. Oh, it's is definitely full of. a pump up. It's album. a pump up. It hype is a... album, and that's the best way. I get. And this song is a perfect example of that. It gets you going. It's a death of a bachelor. I like the message of this one. I think it's cool because obviously I think if I'm not mistaken, Brendan had just gotten married to his, uh, his wife, Sarah, not too recently before that, but it was 2013. And I guess this came out in 2015, the single, did this come out as a single or was this a, Oh yes, it came out this as was a single. single. Okay. Might've been the second or third single. I okay. Believe. Uh, well this was a really, really good, well-written song. And I thought it's still one of my favorites on the album. And this is the first song that I think really caught the world by storm when they heard, like, holy cow, Brendan Urie can sing the heck out of some tunes. He can sing the heck out of some songs. And man. I enjoyed His singing vocals. this. Um, I I had the opportunity to sing this one a couple times. Really? And I sang it at this little, um, there was a talent show back at college that, no, well, not talent, kind That's of a talent right. show, kind of a oh, performance yeah. that nobody went to. I performed for an audience of two, and they planned this event out so much. What was it called? I don't remember this. Oh, I forget. It's not worth remembering. But I'm kind of upset. I, I, sang, I sang, I'm pretty sure I sang Death of a Bachelor. If not, I do remember singing it in a Ruby Tuesdays parking lot at one point. For who? For my wife. Oh, that's this, sweet. This is before. It, we, were, we were with company. We were out eating with folks, and the topic of me singing came up. And Ga- and Gabrielle's just like, oh, well, he can sing for him. Like, don't put me on the spot like that. Yeah, it was yeah. back when I was still super insecure. <laughs> and I, it ended up being being pretty good. Yeah, put on a show for us in this Ruby Tuesdays park. And not eating. Go right ahead. <laughs> I should have sang Ruby Tuesday by the Rolling Stones. That's what I should have done. That's a perfect. If only you I, sang this if only song, I knew that song. You sang this song to your wife's I family. I love, I love singing the song, and she loves when I sing this song. This is one of those, uh, he, another big influence on this album, I think, was Frank Sinatra for him. I, and, that's, I put that in my notes. Okay. Frank Sinatra, huge Sinatra influence. Yeah. I also noticed that coming back a little later in the album, but specifically in this one, very Sinatra-esque. And how in the music video is set up. They totally set it up to be kind of a Sinatra vibe. The fact that it's in black and white and everything feels very old school. This was but, a song, I would say, this is just for Brendan to flex, to be honest with you. Flex his vocal cords. And oh, he did, yeah. He did just that, and he did it really well. See, for me, okay, this, I don't think there's any album, sorry, any song on the album that I've had as much notes for as I did for this one. Because... Death of a Bachelor? Yeah. Because okay. I started listening to it, and obviously I, I jammed. To this song when it first came out i wore this song to death i loved it so much but it's not until listening to it again that i actually started understanding the lyrics to it and listening to the kind of stuff he's saying because i listened to this back in like 2016 2017 and three or four years later i'm married now yeah. and going back and listening to the song it's incredible the kind of 
painting that he does because just death of a bachelor in of its own is a very interesting illustration the term death of a bachelor it's very interesting way of saying that he's putting death to his old lifestyle the single lifestyle the kind of partying bachelor lifestyle which is hilarious given track two on this album being yeah. all about the party lifestyle yeah, and all about I'm champagne little, cocaine how, gasoline how, how, how far apart were these songs written Brandon? i'm getting the feeling that this is like a uh he didn't really plan this out in terms of the track listing <laughs> and how he was gonna put all these albums into a story to get songs into a story together but no i, I totally or he wrote this saying. song last and then named the, the album after it to make up for it yeah, he's like okay i'm sorry or he still participates in the party lifestyle you know what i mean that's hey, his no li- judging it's his life do you know? It's not, it's whatever you want. No, you know? it's the judge, exactly. You can do what you want. But Death of a Bachelor is so interesting that he's like, the, he, the old side of him is dying and this new one is being brought up, but he's not mourning the old lifestyle. He's not looking back and thinking, oh man, back when my bachelor days. No, he said it's the death of a bachelor. And the thing that, that stuck out for me the most is when he said, um, seems so fitting for happy ever after. How could I ask for more? The one that sticks out for me, a lifetime of laughter at the expense of the death of a, the death of a bachelor. That really gets me because I kind of have a hard time listening to love songs. 90% of the songs I listen to, not love songs at all, don't even have a love message. And I know that's a majority of what songs are ever about anymore. It's true. I have trouble listening to them because all these like, Oh, you're my icky sticky honey bun kind of. Yeah. I love icky sticky honey bun. That song, dude. Yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> all I get these, what, all I get these what kind you're of ooey gooey love songs. Oh, girl, I love you and I love you more than I love you. You mean just can't... pop like seventy five percent of pop radio is what you're saying? Basically. Uh, all, all of Drake's catalog, yes, one hundred percent. All, all the hey, caveat. Drake, Drake's got some really good songs. I don't want to be that guy. He's got yeah, some fantastic stuff. It's not does. all about love. Just, I, I happen to enjoy Drake's music a little bit. Passion fruit, not my vibe. More of a mango guy. <laughs> Understandable. But a lifetime of laughter is one of the simplest and most beautiful illustrations of marriage that I've ever heard. Yeah. Because a lot of love songs, they focus on the feeling of love. They focus on feeling loved, being loved, showing love. Marriage is the small things. Marriage is not just a feeling. It's not just going through life, always feeling the same. Like you're going to go through trials. You're going to go through struggles. We go through them every single day, but a lifetime of laughter, even on our worst days, if we're not laughing, there's something wrong. Yeah. We're laughing every single day. And so I, after listening to this again, this might be in one of my top five love songs of all time. Interesting. Because uh-huh. no one talks about the quirky fun sides of marriage and like love in general. Yeah. Another one is I'm going to have to have you listen to this. You haven't heard it yet. Um, Bo Burnham released a song called five years and it's about his girlfriend and it is a hilarious song, but not only because of the stuff he says in it, but the fact that if you have been in a relationship like that, you realize, yeah, yeah. He's just stating facts. That's yeah. the kind. That's the kind of stuff that you talk about. It's the kind of stuff you fight about, and it's just goofy and fun. And that's how it's supposed to be. And this is interesting to me because I, again, I'm not married and I'm not in a long-term committed relationship like that. So this is all good insight for me that I didn't know this was what marriage was like. I didn't know that marriage this is how is you view the marriage and little love. things. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. All it is. It's not. It's 
quite simply, it's just enjoying life together and living life with another person whom you want to live that life with. And a lifetime of laughter is just a perfect way to encapsulate it. So this might be one of my favorite songs on the track solely because it really tugs on my heartstrings now having been a husband. And I enjoy and I appreciate just how well Brendan does every type of song on this album. He's got the super hype ones. He's got the energetic, you know. The ones that you just want to run through wall after you listen ones to. Ones that are and more rock got, influenced, some yeah. that are more pop influenced, and kind of almost kind of getting in Daft Punk territory in some moments. Yeah, and he's got the crooning type, crooning type of Frank Sinatra love songs that have a really good message to him. He doesn't really miss. He doesn't miss on any type of song that he does in this album, which I'm very impressed by. So safe to say, "Death of a Bachelor" as a track, definitely a winner. Oh, 100 percent. Oh, absolutely. Perfect mm-hmm. title track. Next up, Crazy Equals Genius. I like this one. I like this one really? a lot. Really? I do. Okay. I like this one a lot. And this is what I was talking about with the Beach Boys. He obviously makes reference to two members of the Beach Boys. And I'm the... glad that you understood that because yes. I did not. I actually had to look it up. I don't know anything. That gave me some confirmation that he, okay, he actually is paying tribute to them and using reference to these guys. I don't guys. know a darn thing about the Beach Boys. I don't really either. They had a song. Um, I didn't know guys any of the names. I've been listening to the song for like five years and I had never understood who he was talking about. I'm not a huge Beach Boys fan. I'm not a Beach Boys fan at all to be honest with you. Not that I don't like them. I just haven't listened to their music. I only know that they had a song in a movie called 51st Dates with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Oh my god. Gabrielle loves. Oh does she really? Loves that movie. Oh it's a great movie. It's a comfort movie. It's uh, one of the best rom-coms. She I guess, loves they that one. One of Sandler's best movies. Definitely. Absolutely. They have great chemistry. Him and Drew Barrymore. Anyways. They have a song. One of their big songs. Wouldn't it be nice? Is like the main song. In that <gasps> Wouldn't movie. it be nice? Yes. Yeah. Beach Boys is one of those where I never listened to them. Barely know anything about them. You still heard them somehow. Yeah. But when one of their songs comes on, I ain't gonna be like Beach yeah. Boys lame. No. I. It's it, good stuff. You respect the people that kind of laid the groundwork for music you listen to today, and I think that's what Brendan does in this song. It's very, uh, very upbeat. Again, it's right back to where we left off with the upbeat. And just super energetic types of songs that he was putting on before. But I really like this one. I think lyrically this is one of his better ones on the album. I think it's very, very chaotic. It's one of the most chaotic panic songs ever. It's definitely... Well, crazy equals genius. He really plays into the crazy. He does. I described this when I was thinking about it. I said, this is the type of song that I could totally see playing during the sinking of the Titanic. This pillow is killing my back. (laughs) Sorry, I've been... You're good, but this is one of those that I think is it's, if it was playing during the sinking of the Titanic, I wouldn't even bat an eye because it just fits. It's just chaos, crazy. I just, noticed immediately from the from the and like the, the brass section drumline, when it yeah. first comes in, total big band influence. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite things about Panic is this is something that they've done all throughout their career. They always draw influence from, so to speak, the glory days of music. There's big band influences on here. There's a lot of baroque influences in fever you can't sweat out the very first album in fact some people cat more often than not categorize it as baroque pop at least the second half of it okay first one's more electronic pop second half is more baroque pop and it splits genres in the middle um a lot of like psychedelic beatles influences in pretty odd so they always end up going back to 
influences from different genres of yore. So it, I, I love that they keep up with that theme with this song. Yeah. That being said, I think it's the weakest point of the album. Do you really? I really that think surprises so. me. I really think so. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the heck out of the song. It's a very fun song. More often than not, I probably will not skip it. And okay. I enjoy I enjoy the lyrics of it to play into the crazy equals genius, how those are kind of different things. And he really plays into the back and forth um, yin and yang kind of stuff in his lyrics. Like when he says he's an arsonist, he's a rocket scientist, and he's always going back and forth between I'm this, but I'm also that. Yeah. This happens, but then when it happens, you, you he's crazy, like but this. he's also a yeah, genius. Exactly. So he's always swapping back and forth, kind of a Jekyll and Hyde type deal. I kind of likened it to back when I was in high school and I was in choir, and I and uh, our choir did a arrangement of the old song "Oh Susanna." And then the I've okay, yes, I've heard that song before. Oh Sorry, Susanna, it took me a second. Yes. don't you cry for me? And ends up saying. It rained all night the day I left. The weather, it was dry. The sun so hot, I froze to death. Susanna, don't you cry. I've always loved contradictory lyrics yeah. like that. Where it's so simple. It's like, you know what? Let me just keep contradicting myself and just keep doing this and that. This and that. And it's just entertaining. Thing is, though, I feel like... I don't know. One of the things is I started getting a little tired uh, I love the jazz breakdown that happens, and I love all the horns and everything. It's a great vibe. Sonically, incredible. I was getting really tired of hearing You Can Set Yourself on Fire. Really? Over so okay. and over. Okay. He says it 12 times, but it feels like so much more. Especially near the end, like when the whole... Like we're getting more drum beats and like leading into the final chorus... It's just you're hearing these this great brass section, this great bumping drum. It's like, oh, this is a great little instrumental part. The whole time in the background, you can set yourself <laughs> on fire. You can set yourself. We get it, Brendan. I'm trying to listen to an incredible saxophone solo here. I don't need you to keep saying it. I got the point the first 20 times you said it. Now, this, as much as I want to agree, <laughs> I do happen to think, and maybe it is heavy on that specific part of the chorus and... Whatnot, but I do think that this is one of the more well-written songs on the album. I think this one kind of draws back to some of the writing, the quality of some of the writing that Brendan and the old oh, no, members the writing, were doing back on, you know, Vices. Yeah, and, the writing is great. And again, like I always say, I love the way the way Brendan says things. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, man. It just wasn't hitting the way the other ones do. And sometimes I just don't know how to explain it. Some songs just don't hit, and I it totally just, get that. Some songs bore you to death. I don't think this one bores you to death because it's super upbeat. Oh and no, it doesn't. Oh yeah, it's not, like I said, it's one of those that I can turn on in the background and just really bop to it, really enjoy it. And maybe it's just because I was analyzing it yeah. that, that you can set yourself on fire was bothering me. If my brain is shut off and I'm just enjoying the song, the fact that it didn't bother me until now yeah. says something. Fair enough. We will agree to disagree on that one, as that is one of my favorites on the album, but we can move forward and we can still be friends. Now how about I LA think. Devotee? This. I actually want to hear you first this time. Really? I want to hear you first. Okay. I'm very curious what you think about this one. I really like it. I think it might be one of my favorites on the album. What do you think? 
It is my favorite on the album. It is your favorite, is favorite on, the favorite on the album. Yes. Okay, I was about to say I saw the look in your eye like when you were telling me to go, and I wasn't sure. I just wanted to make sure you weren't going to tell me this was like your. Now that you said crazy equals genius, I didn't want this to be like number ten. Oh no! Now you're now you're really questioning. Oh, he said crazy equals genius was a weak point. I'm really questioning yeah, his judgment. Exactly. I'm not sure where he's going to go exactly. from here. No, I'm not a one. complete sadist. I love I love this song. This is a great song. Brennan does. It's the first album of two, I guess, and maybe I don't know if there's gonna be another one on Viva Las Vengeance where he talks about LA and the lifestyle. That See, it that's it's kind. Of, I'm kind of wondering if he will because lifestyle the whole thing. Well, the whole thing is about Vegas. Like the whole concept of the new album is about Vegas. So I'm not sure if he'll end up mentioning LA. Yeah, it's just it was. It's a really, really well produced song, and I love the way it turns on at the beginning. It almost sounds like it's coming from an old record player. I love that, and I love the. I'm a sucker for songs that start with a really hitting drum, drum beat. beat so yeah. it comes to and then you're like, oh, oh, we're about to get into it. And just goes right into it. Um, when during the uh, pre-chorus, when he's like the static palms melt, the kind of backing and the harmonies on his voice is very haunting when you listen to it. And it really plays into how the music video is where he's a cult leader, yeah. essentially. he's L.A. is like a cult. And it really has this kind of haunting, creepy vibe as if someone is being kind of ushered into it, like, oh, come join us. Glad you whatever. brought up the music video, obviously, because it's, uh, it's got Noah Schnapp from Stranger Things in it. I didn't know. I haven't That's seen it in so long. I didn't know That's there was him, Noah Schnapp. Yeah. He's a big fan, and they got and Brendan knew that, and got him Yo, to do no that. Wonder when I was, when, no wonder when I was researching about this song that one of the top searches was, who's the kid from the music video? I'm like, yep. why are people asking that? Wow. That is Will Byers himself. The, that is awesome. Feels well, like it could be a lot. The video feels like it could be a lost episode of Stranger Things in the first place. It's very, very. I was about. I was about creepy. to say Will just can't catch a break. No, he first the he same ends roles. up. First he ends up being brought into a cult, and then he gets possessed by the mind flayer. Homie just cannot. No, he, he cannot can't. catch a break. But the I think the reason I love this one so much is because this is one of the best choruses Brendan's ever written in his life. Oh yeah. Black magic on Mulholland Drive. Centerfolds in the desert sky. I love that. I mean, it's just so. It's poetic. Is it swimming pools on the under? Cin- de- center, I thought it was folds. swimming pools under desert sky. I want to say it's centerfolds, like that means attractive women. I think. Well, I not, well, I know what it, I, yeah. I, I know what a centerfold I just is. Haven't sure. seen one. I've been singing centerfolds for like the past six years, so I hope I'm right. I am actually legit going to look this up because you and I. This is the first um, disagreement as far as it comes to lyrics. Um, swimming pools under desert skies go sure? back and listen to it bro no no hold on hold on hold on i don't yo. believe this hold on i don't believe this yo let me get let me get a peek hold on are we are are, are, are we getting a we have a bit of a mandela effect going on here man no i could have sworn it was centerfolds it's not hey don't be putting centerfolds in my search history <laughs> Sorry, bro i have a life what are the you thing, doing <laughs> the things i do to prove myself right and i'm wrong Oh, swimming pools is still a great lyric. As oh, much as that, it's still it's still really well written. It it's just burns I you could, to have come so close. It does burn me. <laughs> Not only that, but I feel like I've been lied to this entire. Like I know I saw it somewhere. I know I saw it somewhere that said centerfolds, and it might have just been like one wrong. Are website. you thinking of that '80s hit by the Jay Giles Band? Angel is a centerfold. Have you heard, heard them in the shuffle at the same time? Back I've back? never heard that in my life, so I don't think that's what it is. You've but... never heard centerfold? Mm-mm. Oh, that's one of my favorite 80s songs. Oh, I'm exposing myself here, but no, I have not. And no, I get, okay, well, uh. aside from the point, okay, you, you, you win that one, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, 
<laughs> Swimming pools in the desert sky. Yes, it's 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 just a really well written chorus and it flows so well. And I just I love the way it sounds. It's beautiful. This is the first song of the whole album where I noticed that I've listened to this song for so long, but I don't think I've actually really understood it. He says a lot. Of, I mean, obviously, I understand what it's about. I understand he's just really painting a picture about L.A., the good and the bad. Incredible chorus, incredible verses. There's nothing about this song that I can't get into. It's definitely in one of my favorites. I don't know. If, might be my favorite on the album, too. I'm really not sure. Really? But I I really love it. I can't, I can't find a bad spot with it. It's a great song. But I was looking up some of the lyrics because... I just think I kind of filled in the blanks. I never realized when he says sunsets on the evil eye. Apparently, I thought the evil eye was like some sort of L.A. landmark. That was like an Illuminati type thing. See, no, apparently, like from what I saw, evil eye is like, you know, you're kind of giving some of the evil eye, kind of giving someone a malicious look and some cultures that could be harmful to others, sometimes caused by jealousy. So, oh, my God. Your cat's really trying to get out. Your cat wants to You can't to see it on camera. We have four cats in this house, and Billy Joel is trying to get under the door. That's the name of one of his cats, by the way. It's not actually Billy Joel. <laughs> no, we actually locked Billy Joel in the closet, and he's like, I'm not getting out to you review one of my yeah, albums. podcast listeners are having a trip about that one. Yeah, Billy Joel's trying to climb under Yo, our door. what? They got Billy Joel on there? And then I, when he says um, the... Black tar palms keep weeping your name. Mm. I wasn't even thinking that black tar. He's talking about one of LA's um, finest exports, black tar heroin. I didn't even know that. I would have never. He's known referencing that. that. So apparently, black tar heroin is most often distributed in Los Angeles. Hmm. So he ends up. He see. He kind of sneaks in a little bit of the bad of it. While saying black tar palms, like we have these beautiful palm trees, but hey, we also have some drugs going on here. I think the whole underlying message of the song is that, I mean, he's not glorifying what it means to be an L.A. devotee. He's, it's honestly more of a prequel to dying in L.A. than anything else, because the more Ooh, you become enslaved to that culture, that. the more likely it's going to kill you. Dying in L.A. from Pray for the Wicked, the album that came after this one. Uh, the f- closing track. No, I didn't even think. I have to listen to those back to back, because no. there probably are some parallels I'm not to listen to this there. song again, so I know the lyrics, because clearly I don't. And when he says Pisces and Aries rising, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that apparently when it comes to Zodiac or what is it? Uh, horoscopes, uh, astrology, whatever. Apparently a rising sign in astrology is the way you appear to people before they realize who you really are. So it's a first impression. So a rising sign apparently is something that it kind of plays into the song how, like, for one, it was Aries rising. S- someone could interpret, as far as it comes to astrology, a rising Aries. You see someone as an Aries, but you really aren't. That could be a way of you having to find courage and find strength and bravery and stuff. I don't follow any of this stuff. I legit had to look it up. So if I sound like I know what I'm talking about, I don't. I did not know I was that. just yeah. really curious okay. about the lyrics. And turns out it's a rising sign in astrology i feel like you're the kid that studied really hard for his test and is like getting an a right now and i'm the kid that clearly crammed <laughs> 10 minutes beforehand and does not quite know near, does not know nearly as much about look, what he's man, talking about as you look, do this is how i've always been whenever i'm super interested in something i i need i don't only want to know it i want to understand it 
Like, I really, really want to understand what's going on and everything about it so I can fully appreciate it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So now if I go back and listen to this song again, I'm going to be hearing it in a completely different light. Hmm. But either way, the lyrics, the fact that there's so many hidden meanings in the lyrics, it's so poetic in that regard. And I can't see anything wrong with it production-wise and instrumentally. Definitely, I think, yeah, best on the album. It's a top-tier song. Absolutely. That one and Emperor's New Clothes are very close for me. Ooh, very yeah. close. Oh, I can't remember. One A and one B is the way I would describe that. One hmm. A and one B. That's yeah, fair. That's I cannot the put them. It. I cannot put them one or two. Oh, I can't either. It's too tough. Then what about Golden Days? This is the throwaway track on the album for me. I don't like this one. Don't even like it's not even a matter of don't even think it holds up to the rest of the album. I just don't like this one as a song. The way you feel about Brendan saying, What was it that you pointed out earlier? You can set yourself on fire. If he says the word if he says go if he screams golden days at the top of his lungs one more time, I'm gonna my ears are gonna blow out. Okay, that part I can agree on. This is where it's I think, very impressive when he first does it. But as he's going on, yes, yeah, it doesn't yes, I'm like, how is he doing that with his voice so often? It's one of those where I think he tried a little too hard vocally. He tried to really, he didn't need to, I don't feel like. I didn't think this was a song where it's not the best, it's not the most well-written song. It's a little lackluster, according, in my opinion, up to panic standards. I'm going to have to disagree. That's fair. Because, okay, okay. To panic standards, if you're comparing it to the kind of I'm comparing it to the lyricism rest of the songs on this album to be fair on this album on this album yeah. okay I loved you'll notice I'm a big fan of storytelling songs yeah I liked the story this one told that's fair in fact I think this found a pile of Polaroids uh huh it tells such shop. a great story it's so it illustrates it so well he describes the pictures he's seeing and when it's when it like goes completely silent when he's doing the pre-chorus, how the lights begin to fade and it starts bringing in. I think that is the best way he could have ever done the chorus, and it gives a a, a reminiscent vibe and yeah. really accomplishes what he's trying to what the, the story it's trying to tell. This is such a well illustrated song. I think it should have gotten a music video instead of Hallelujah. That's what I think. Fair enough. I think it should. It, 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 so you think this should have been a single too in that case? I definitely think it should have been a single. I think it was really, really underrated, personally. I again, I it doesn't hit. For I me. have not swayed you at all. It doesn't. Hit, it just doesn't hit for me. It's one of those where it's it's a little harder to explain. It just doesn't hit for me. It doesn't do as much as some of the other songs on the album. Man. It's not. It's not incredible to me, at least lyrically. It's not incredible to me production-wise. It's not incredible. The sound of it just... It's one of the most boring-sounding songs on the album, in my opinion. In that my is opinion. fascinating. And I'm, I'm going to... We'll get to the next one, too. But I would say that this is probably my least favorite on the album, this song. Okay, well, since you mentioned it, Good, the Bad, and the Dirty, where's that one rank? My second least favorite on the album. <laughs> I think this is the weak part of the album where That just one I it. can agree with. <laughs> I can agree that Good, the Bad, and the Dirty, one of the more underwhelming songs. But this one, I also noticed there are a lot of poetic lyrics that I never fully understood. I like how this song is just a basic kind of head bopper. You're able to bop your head to it. Kind of a little subtle, like, 
hip hop hi hats in the background to kind of still make it. Oh yeah, I'm I'm doing some different stuff here, but here's some familiar little hi hats, so it's still a little more approachable. Yeah, how he kind of and puts in modern elements even when he's branching out, so people are still able to be like, okay, yeah, I'm used to sounds like that. Yeah. But I apparently this song is. About the good, the bad, and the dirty parts of being a touring artist. Did not know that. Again, I didn't you've know. done so much more research on this. I've just, I'm embarrassed of myself. I've done like no research into the deeper meaning behind these lyrics. I'm just kind of spitballing. Tell you, man, I really wanted to understand it. So you say this is the, he's talking about being a touring artist and I guess being away from his wife Truth. a lot. Is that what he's saying? Truth is this was always going to end. The symphony buzzing in my head. He said his musical career and his musical talent it's going to end eventually so he might as well make a dime while he has the chance hmm, interesting and um, when he says all the good girls um are always so good until one of them doesn't wait their turn never uh, understood that line what does that mean turn the memory into stone and carve your shoulder apparently like Everyone can behave so much and can be so good and proper and behave the way they're supposed to until, you know, they they want to get something that they want or they're able to maybe something changes them and stuff like that. So people change. And so he said, um, turn the memory into stone and carve your shoulder. It's his way of saying tattoo it on you while you're still good. Like keep that memory of them being good and tattoo it and tattoo it on you. So you still have it because it ain't going to last. OK, interesting. I again. Would have never picked that out. I would have never. That's one thing about Panic's lyrics. I think the mystique and the mystery behind them is what makes them so great most of the time. So I just honestly choose not to even dive into the deeper meaning behind them because I think the having that you know curtain pulled over what he's actually saying kind of adds to the enjoyment of the music. Well, I'm about to blow your mind with this one because in the second verse he kind of pulls the curtain back and talks a little more in depth and a little more personal about his career and the phases of it without you even noticing. Yeah, he, I didn't notice. I was oblivious. He says, I know what it's like to have to trade the ones you love for the ones you hate. Panic is a solo act now, but they went through so many band members prior. When they had that fo that four-man outfit back during, just before Vices and Virtues, I would say around Fever and Pretty Odd, was when they were a four-man group. They were a full band they really had some incredible creativity and songwriting going all of them have dropped off and they tried to replace it and none of them had really hit and none of them clicked the way the original four did so he's mentioning that and then how he says he's never used a day of his education they met in school they did but they've he's never used any of it because he's just gotten famous off of his singing he never used any of that education that he was getting while trying to get by getting the band started. Now, like, and now he has the final judgment because it's just him now. Huh. Okay. Right? That's, that, that actually Doesn't does, that change your mind on the song does, a little bit? It does change your mind a little bit. It's still, my, it's still not one of my favorites. It's just, again, it's one of those that sounds a little bit basic to me. But it's nice to know that Brendan does acknowledge the fact that he has come from he has been through a lot of different band members. It's kind of odd that he is now the solo remaining member after just nine, I guess, nine or ten years. He's been through, it would have been five different members of the band at that point because they added Dallin after Vices and before Too Ready yeah. to Live. 
it's good that he acknowledges that because I think a lot of people kind of give him a lot of people these days at least give Brendan some slack and they give him some hate because the most recent and again this album hasn't come out yet he's got a song called Local God where a lot of people think he's throwing shade at Ryan more than likely we by the time this drops we would have already put out a TikTok kind of putting our opinion of the album out there yeah because I know we got to react to that album at some point it's just this. It's it's nice that there's a bit of a more positive, kind of reflection song about his past bandmates and the relationship they had and them growing up and yeah going to school together and so lyrically lyrically I enjoy the song. I agree. Like I'll bump it up because you gave me that explanation. In, but in, instrumentally that. and kind of compared to the rest of the album, I would agree. Sound wise, it's a little weaker. Yeah. But lyrically, when you really dig into it, it's actually kind of a meaningful song. I do like the horns in this song, I will say. One of my main one of my main gripes is the bridge near the end. He it delves off. It just gets so sexual. I forgot what you feel like. Um something about under me, You've under been gone you. for so long, but I'm not gonna think about that right now. I'm gonna yeah. keep getting underneath you. Getting underneath yeah. you, yeah. And turns out Brendan actually said in an interview that this song kind of became a little more meaningful than he meant for it to be. Because I think originally Good, the Bad, and the Dirty, he was meaning for it to actually be a more sexual song. And the bridge kind of reflects that. But then he started adding more lyrics to it and it became deeper and had a more a deeper meaning and a little more transparent than he originally planned. I just wish that the bridge reflected Wait a minute. how the song is usually interpreted. Are we sure that the bridge isn't supposed to represent the dirty? Then the second verse isn't supposed to represent mm. the bad and the first isn't supposed to represent the good. Are we sure? I've also heard looked... the I've also heard the uh, opinion that good, bad and dirty are the three kind of people that you, the three kinds of people that you come across in the music business. You come across good people, bad people and dirty people. Hmm. So there's a lot of ways you can pick this song apart, but I think where he's talking about his past and the band and how now he's solo, he has the final judgment. I know without a shadow of a doubt, that's what that one means. Okay. Everything else though, I mean, probably up to interpretation. Which is the best, best type of lyricism and stuff that's left up to the mind of the listener. And I think a lot of Brendan's songs are like that, so. Oh yeah. And we are on House of Memories, is that correct? Yeah, that song from TikTok. Ugh. (laughs) I love this song. I really love this song. It's I, so it's way too good for TikTok. It's so catchy. You either Maybe that's di- they you, had to speed it up in most you either, don't most TikToks have it sped up. You either there? die a hero or you live long enough to see your favorite song get sped up and become a TikTok. You song. live long enough to become an influencer. That's the best way I can put it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it, it and I don't think that it does any harm to the actual song itself because you can't you can't judge the song just because you judge it negatively just because you heard a TikTok I'm happy six years later. Is finally getting the just it's, putting my cards on the table. I enjoyed this song a lot. Yeah, and I'm glad it's finally getting for TikTok for better or worse. Happy it's finally getting the credit that it deserves because it's now up to 370 something million streams on Spotify, I believe. Yeah, and it's gotten all close. those just within the last year. Most of those. Most yeah. of those, and. In all of the promotion for Viva La- for the Viva Las Vengeance tour, 
he was using House of Memories in the promotional material. I'm, so I've now that's that. becoming his main yeah. song. I'm like, is this really what it took for you to add it to the set list? Or to acknowledge the song in general. It's a banger. It really is. Yeah. It's good. So good on whoever it was on TikTok to actually give that song the credit that it deserves. I'm starting to hear it in like grocery stores. I'm yeah. hearing it at different different places in public so it's crazy to hear that song of all panic songs and it's cool it's another reflection song it's another song looking back and talking about i can't tell if this one is he talking about a past relationship or he's talking about a past relationship and this this is another one lyrically that i really enjoyed putting it in the same category as the title track as death of a bachelor because he's talking about i have certain lyrics i he said memories turn into daydreams become a taboo talking about when you're looking back and longing for the past and past relationships when you're in one currently it's mm. like falling in he's he, this is talking this whole song is about falling in love for the first time not being familiar with all of these feelings that you have wanting to look back at the past but realizing i need to stay in the future and he says in the in the bridge that the um memories of past lovers will always haunt me and stuff like that and how not to leave because yeah. of it. How everything he says, um, I don't want to be afraid. The further I go, it takes my breath away. Soft hearts, electric souls. Is this taboo? Uh, I think of you from time to time more than I thought I would. These are all feelings of someone who has never been in love before. And the is way- just now experiencing all of these emotions. You mentioned earlier, like it's talking about somebody who's in a, in a current relationship that just might not taste as sweet as the last one he was in. It well, I was I was going to say that it's the sweetest relationship he's ever had, but he can't. But it's going to take a bit to get rid of the past. I look at it in a completely different way. Really? I look at it as, and again, I'm not quite as knowledgeable. I haven't done quite as much research into this, but the way I would listen oh, no, to no. it, music, again, music the, is completely subjective. Up to the interpretation of the listener, I look at it as somebody who's in a relationship. It's not quite as it's not nearly as good as the last one he was in talking about in the bridge. The deeper that I go, the deeper that I get into this new relationship. The past one takes my breath away just a little bit more because you keep not wanting to, you know, wanting to hold on to this new person when you still have this other person you're still trying to recover from. That's the way I would listen to it just because that's something I would relate to a little bit more. But I can totally see where you're coming from as well with your interpretation. Yeah. Again, it's why I love Panic because most of their songs can be left up to interpretation. And I love I love picking their songs apart because I'm noticing with a lot of these songs, the when I pick them apart and actually piece by piece and having them abide at a time. I just love them even more. Yeah. It just makes you, it gives you a whole new sense of appreciation. Some artists, the more in depth you listen to their music and the deeper you dive into the meaning and the purpose behind a song. It's, it almost does more harm to your appreciation than anything else. Panic's not one of those artists. Panic, the deeper that you go into their music and the deeper that you look into what goes into the writing and the production. It just makes you appreciate what they do even more, which is what yeah. I love about this album, especially. especially in this era. Yes. This, th- this was a very different era in Panic. Agreed. Like, I think, I think this might, my opinion might be their best era. I know you're on the, you, you're impartial to two, two weird to live, too rare to die. I'm impartial to 2011 to 2013, 2011 to 2013, because that was vices straight into to oh, live right after oh. that. That three-year period to me, when it was Brendan and Spencer, 
And then Brendan Spencer and Dallin. Just that was so you know, perfect. our favorite albums were in those eras. My favorite album is Vices and Virtues. Minus Your favorite album is Too Rare to Live. Too Rare to Live. Too Rare to Live. It's right up there with Vices and Virtues. It's just, it's to me, I can. I get more replay value out of Too Rare to Live. I got to give Too Rare to Live another listen. I think I've only listened to it all the way through once. So but good. there's just something. Vices, I could listen to on repeat nonstop. I could listen to it for a whole day and not get sick of it personally. I've done it with both, so I understand. We are on the last one. We are know. rounding it out with Round an impossible home. year. There's no sunshine this impossible year. Only black days and sky gray. Okay. Honestly, I have... This is the song that I've listened to the least Probably in total. Same. Which is weird. I've already listened to it. I couldn't even remember how the song went. I hadn't listened to it that often. And I think it might be one of my favorites on the album. Honestly. Because from the moment it started... My ears immediately. This is a Billy Joel song. Hmm. The piano, it really kind of gives me the vibe of She's Got Away from his very first album, Cold Spring Harbor. Uh, it, it's it, like any other sort of ballad that he that Billy Joel's done on the piano. It's like a combination. It's like if She's Got Away was done during the Stormfront era, back when he was doing We Didn't Start the Fire. And... I really you're speaking a different language to me right now, but I'm nodding my head. Anyway I really started likening it to the about. song Leningrad. I still need to have you listen to these songs. He's like, oh yeah, you're you're like um, yeah, absolutely, man. You're I, like you're like Marlin in Finding Nemo when they're going through the current. He's trying to speak to me. I know yes, it. Yes, and I I understand that you are saying words right now and they are coming out of your mouth. I am just not processing them. But you continue because okay. You have long, good insight. Long story short, I get Billy Joel influences. Okay, it's primarily what I get. Yeah. And whenever he, when he opens, like, there's no sunshine, I immediately want to say, on a cloudy day. I'm like, wait, no, wrong song. <laughs> I start thinking it's My Girl or something. But I don't know why I never listened to this song because the lyrics and the vocals and the instrumentation and the just the simple simplicity of it is beautiful. And his, how every verse, Kind of has a theme. Yeah. The first verse, he's talking about storm illusions, black days, sky gray, clouds full of fear, typhoons, monsoons. Second verse kind of gives you the feeling of a beach party with bitter people, beach fronts of bad, bad blood, blood yeah. coast that's un the coast that's unclear, guess at the party are insincere, intrude, and exclude. Really paints a picture. It's like you're in the scene with him. And then the recurring theme in the third verse is talking about drugs and alcohol, but the way he tells it, he has such a brutal and heartbreaking image, but he paints it in such a beautiful way where he says, no, you and me, gin made of tears, which is a incredible a line, yes. gin made of tears. Lyric. Bitter pill I swallow, scars souvenir, that tattoo, mm. your last bruise. So it's like the tattoo. Like I, I interpret it as he got a tattoo of her and he regret, he regrets it because they're not together anymore. And your last bruise. It's almost like they were in an abusive relationship and he has regrets of that too. Um, scars souvenir. Kind of, I get some self harm vibes from it. I, so anything that interprets sadness 
and being at the very lowest you could ever be, he finds a way to poetically state it in this song. Yeah, I almost don't even look at it as a physical tattoo or a physical scar. I almost look at it as something so bad did happen to you in the past or a past relationship that did scar you that it didn't necessarily scar you externally on your skin and it scarred you internally. So oh, whenever you go, you're going around, you're carrying scars and tattoos and bruises of the past and you can't get rid of them. Maybe from, I guess what he's referring to is the impossible year. But I agree. I did not listen to this song very much either when I first got into the album. Think you're going to listen to this, it a lot more now? Oh, and I I have now listened to it a lot more. It was more. stuck in my head before we recorded. It's very much the cool down song after an intense cardio session. That's the way this song would be described. Yes. It is a much softer ballad. It's, it's the ballad. He has a ballad at almost... The, I mean, since he went on his own, even in 2013, uh, with Too Rare to Live, every song, excuse me, every album concludes with a slower ballad. And this is that for Death of a Bachelor. But it's very catchy. It's so well written. Like you said, some of those lyrics, you, it's it's one of those that makes me sit and I'm sitting there like, wow, how did you come up with this? How did you find a way to say this so poetically? The lyrics are of, so simple, mm-hmm. but so well thought So powerful. Out. I this I, is I keep mentioning the same exact thing for a lot of these songs how he paints a picture. This song is just it's almost like his words are brush strokes. I literally just painting this picture of sadness and dismay. Well, I literally picture a a red ocean when he says beachfront of bad blood. I literally yeah. picture an ocean like waves crashing it's a in very, blood. Yeah. All of these songs and I Golden Days, I know you have your qualms of Golden Days, but it's just not I don't have qualms. It's better than most it's better than most artists would do with well, any yeah, song, course, to be honest. But comparatively to the rest of the, the rest album. Of the album yeah. But that one and this one, very visual. Like, you listen to it. And same for, um, uh, I keep mentioning all the songs you weren't a fan of, um, Don't Threat Me With A Good Time. Yeah. All of those, the story they tell, you can see the visual in your head of yeah. what's going on. And it just really paints kind of a music video I can't believe head. we didn't mention the... Lost a bet to a guy in a chevron skirt, but I make these high heels work lyric in that because that paints a picture for sure. Not, not, a, not a pleasant one, but it certainly paints a picture in your head. And he yet, doesn't even know that he foreshadowed his rolling kinky boots. He does not. And that that is something we can get into as well in a different episode. But I think that that's one of Brendan's biggest. Um, it's one of Brendan's on this album, at least. He does that very well on a lot of different songs is that he does paint pictures with his words. Now he, the real, does, he does put you the in his shoes. The real question is, what do you think of closing the album with such a somber, heartbreaking song? Such a high-energy album, where there's hardly any breaks for the first half of the album, and then ending it with a soul-crushing ballad. What do you think? I think it fits. I think every album has to have a... I don't think every... I, shouldn't, I, should, I don't think every album has to have a nice, pretty little bow tied on top of it. Maybe this album isn't meant to have a happy ending, if you will. It's, or for that matter, any of his albums, because all of these albums pretty much end with a slower, more ballad type of song. I like it. I think this, to be honest, we were due a slower song. We were due a more... And it hits harder simple, after having piano, so yeah. much energy prior, and then suddenly you're in this really somber kind of a piano bar type vibe. Yeah. And... It really, you're going up, you're going up, you're going up, and then boom, he just brings you down like it's to close it all off. The only other song on the album besides Death of a Bachelor, I would say, where you really feel like 
Brendan is serenading you with his words and his lyrics. Honestly, from a serenading standpoint and a crooning kind of Sinatra standpoint, I would almost put this one higher than Death of the Bachelor as far really? as it comes to stylistically because it's a lot more stripped down. And that's how songs more were back then. Yeah. And I liken this one to I get Sinatra vibes. Billy Joel, I definitely get some Queen vibes too in the way he kind of delivers. There's it. some Queen vibes, I think, kind of sprinkled all over the all album throughout as well. It. But yeah. yes, absolutely. But it's, I don't know, I, thinking, are, thinking about it now, and I didn't make this note prior, I really think Death of a Bachelor is more of a concept album than you would think. Because I feel like there's a reason why he keeps mentioning all these drugs and alcohol and women and relationships and heartbreak and all that. He mentions all that throughout the album. And... Some of it is in a positive light. Like, don't threaten me with a good time. It sounds like a party song. He is promoting that party lifestyle. He is promoting like that song. lifestyle. And then with Emperor's New Clothes, he's promoting sinning and just ma- making mistakes, living life, indulging. And he ends up referencing it again in this last song in an extremely depressing light. It's almost like saying, yeah, we have this lifestyle, have all these different things. But I still feel like crap. So it really is kind of a concept album. And we have all this, but look what it's done for me. It's, that's funny, too, because, you know, you get to the next album, and it's the same exact type of song about the same exact type of thing. You have all this stuff, and you still feel like you're dying here in Talk LA. about dying in L.A. Yeah, he closes. Yeah. And even the end of all things from the prior his prior album is very much just a kind of somber reflection on the rest of the songs and the rest of the, and everything else he was singing about ahead of time. And I think it's kind of, I would almost describe it as Brendan coming down from like a high or kind of waking up and having that. You talk about being a concept album, maybe impossible year is the morning after it represents the morning after when you're kind of coming to terms with everything that happened. Your the moment night of clarity as moment alcoholics of, would call it. Yes. And that realization is setting in. I think that's kind of what, Again, open to interpretation, obviously, but that's kind of what this song represents. What a bow to put on the album. I can't believe I hardly listened to this one. I Because it hit hard when I was listening to it. I'm like, wait, well, this is how it ended? When you click on that picture in that album cover of Brendan sitting out there you know, almost naked in the pool, you're clicking on that album cover because you, you want some energetic bops. Like That's what you're looking for. You don't really go to Death of a Bachelor if you're like, I want to think and feel and like really soak in the emotions of one of these songs. And when you're looking at the album art while listening to the high energy ones, it suits it. Yeah. But if you're looking at it while listening to this song, it suits it. Because you look past the bright colors, you look past the lights of it, you see a car drowning in a pool and a man passed out yeah. on the ceiling. It's the you moment see, of you clarity. You strip away all of, the, all of the lights, you strip away all the bright colors, and you just see it bare bones yeah. as it is. It's the moment of clarity, like you said. What? That should be the episode title. Just going to throw that in there. Moment of clarity. <laughs> Death of a Bachelor. I, I like that. <laughs> but anyways, does that not bring us to our final ratings for our, the album? Let's, what are your final thoughts, final thoughts of the album as a whole? Okay. Um, I certainly believe this to be one of Brendan's best. I think it's up there. It's top three for me. I'd probably put it at number th- I'd put it at number three. I, And that's not to say that it is deserving of such a low spot considering he's only got six outputs at this point. I think it just says more about the top two than anything else. I like how this album was a clear transition of sound. Even if you didn't follow Panic! at the Disco and had no idea they had lost two band members and then three band members before that, 
you could listen to 2013's Too Rare to Live and then listen to 2015's Death of a Bachelor and be like, okay, wow, this sounds so much different. They are clearly going for a different type of sound here, a different type of vibe. And that's for every album. They always go for something different. But in this one, the experimentation they did paid off the most that it ever had. And I would say it might be the most... I wouldn't... I'd call it the riskiest experimentation. Ambitious. Ambitious, yes. Because think about the type of fans that Panic cultivated when they first came out. That was a very punk rock slash emo type of fan base. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. It's the type of music that they'd be playing in Hot Topic. You wouldn't play quite as many of the songs from this album in a Hot Topic or something like that. And I feel like that comes with them maturing. Yeah. Like, his sound has matured. They were this angsty kind of pop punk. um, Seems the artists these days are not who you think. Kind of just being all angsty and rah, rah, rah kind of stuff. But now he's a married man. Yeah, now he's a married man. He's he's doing this on his own. This is a solo output now. And I think he's getting... I also think he gets a lot more... He takes a lot more suggestions maybe from outside producers on this one, which isn't a bad thing. I think it works out well for him. I think they let I think they let him in the right directions. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I one of my only qualms was going to be how much drugs and alcohol I mentioned, but I'm so glad we discussed that last track. Because yeah. that was a moment of clarity for me. Mm-hmm. How it just rounded the entire album out. So I am totally fine with him talking about the same stuff throughout the entire album. If that's the way it ends. Yeah. Because it really drives the entire point home. Again, the point of view from the beginning to the end. Again, I still think that for me, crazy equals genius. And honestly, I think hallelujah were kind of low points for me. How both again, even the songs that I'm not a big fan of are incredible songs, Yeah, but they just weren't hitting as much for me. But this album definitely shines even in spite of the subjective opinions that I have of it. The only songs I would say that I don't necessarily, I enjoy, I, I semi enjoy. Let me put it into perspective. Panic of the Disco is one of my favorite artists. And I know it's one of yours too. Oh yeah. Like we're not hiding our bias here and there. And our, most of our favorite artists, they have few songs that we would genuinely consider to just not be good songs in our opinions. Golden days and good, bad and ugly. And dirty, sorry. Middle of a breakup. (laughs) Okay, yeah, and we'll get into that when that comes out. But those are songs that the Golden Days and Good, Bad, and the Ugly, the Dirty, Good and the Bad and the Dirty, sorry, are two songs. Start hearing the ecstasy of gold going off in my head. I'm like, (laughs) I just, I those are those are ones that don't have any replay value to me. I wouldn't put on if I, you know, if someone told me to play Death of a Bachelor, I'd probably skip over those, both of those, and they're right, they're one after another, so it's convenient, but. Those are just two that I don't think are up there anywhere near the top of their discography. But yeah. other than that, there aren't too many low points on this album. I really do enjoy it, and I think it's 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 quality almost from start to finish with a few hiccups on the middle of the road. All right. Our final star ratings. This is how we're going to do it. For every episode, we're going to do it a little unique, a little different. We're two guys, so we're each going to give a certain amount of stars out of five. Are we doing stars, or are we doing something like instead of stars? What do you think it should be instead of stars? Um, What's a good good panic type of Wait, I think I actually wrote something down. All right, then. Again, way more prepared than I am. Um, How about out of five wine-stained Polaroids? That's perfect. (laughs) So, I'll ask you then in that case. How many 
Weinstein Polaroids, I think that's right, out of five, would you give Death of the Bachelor? I gave this one a solid four. Solid four. Okay. I gave this one a three out of five. So Weinstein Polaroids. Right? I got that right. Weinstein Polaroids. Yes. Again, I, I tried to make it as complicated for you as possible. I okay. want to make sure that you get it completely wrong <laughs> so I can properly chastise you. I like the lyrics of L.A. Devotee that I got wrong, embarrassingly enough. It's not centerfolds, it's swimming pools, apparently. <laughs> Your brain was just somewhere different. I don't know where, I don't know yes, what you was. were doing when you heard it. But you don't want to. <laughs> Anyways. Four Anyways. out of three. I got to clear my history because you were looking at that crap up. You mean four plus four. Four plus four. three. Four. Five, six. Seven. Out of ten, wine-stained Polaroids. That's solid. For Panic at the Disco's Death of a Bachelor. That's a 70 out of 100 if we were doing it like that. And that's a C on the grading scale. Hey, C- C- C's get degrees. Yes, yeah, C's are solid. You and I know that. I am surprised it only came out to a C, though. After Before doing this, I certainly thought this was going to end up a little, a little higher. Again, not that we neither of us... I know I like I love this album. I know you. I do honestly too. thought you were going to rank it higher. I thought we were going to completely agree. Like even though we disagreed on some songs, I thought that we were clicking enough to where we were both going to think, yeah, this is about a four. Because I know it's not perfect. For, when, I'm not perfect. When five. you look at it though, it's more of here's my thing. Let me let me let me let me adjust my rating real quick. Because if okay. I was doing this okay. out of if I was doing this out of ten, I would have given. Let me it get a, the wine out so I can put some a little more Polaroids yeah. or wipe some of them off. If I was doing this out of ten instead of five, I would have given this a seven. So logically, that makes this a three five, three point five, out of five for me. I didn't really do the math right in my head because I usually rank out of ten. But if I was doing this out of ten, I give this a seven out of ten. So cut that in half. That's three point five. So it's a seven point five out of ten for us. Which sounds, which makes more sense. Tack a point five on there. Yeah, sure. That point five makes all the difference. I felt like there was less wiggle room with five instead of ten, but no. Which if we can do point fives, I didn't know we could do. I guess that's allowed. We can do point fives, right? Okay. You guys should cut one of the wine state polaroids. <laughs> you point five, and you can do point twenty five. It's just if you start getting too complicated, I have to whip out the calculator because I'm okay. already. You heard me having to count out loud. Well, cut one of those wine stain polaroids in half. Three and a half wine stain like, polaroids. Just cut it in me. half. Just snip, 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 snip. Yes, there and I go. give it three and a half. Then in that case, so three and a half out of five, seven out of ten. But combine our ratings, and we get a seven and a half out of ten. Death of a Bachelor, solid album, perfect way to kick off the podcast. Yeah. And it was great to do an album that we know and love, but next week, not necessarily going to be the same story. We got our warm up, we got our toes wet a little bit, but next week, be sure to load up on guns and bring your friends. This is Connoisseurs on the Record, and we'll see y'all next week. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 